20 minutes it is after 7 p.m. You tuned in to Metro FM Talk here on the Mighty Metro. We kick things off, as we often do, uh, out in the capital markets and company news and uh, also out in the world of business. And uh, joining me on the line tonight to take a look at some of these stories is uh, Kanyan Zuruleka, co-founder out at Satana Capital. Kanya, good evening to you and welcome. Good evening, Good evening to you and your listeners. I hope you're well. I'm very well. Um, today's been a good day, but I'm sure we'll get into it as time goes. Yeah, yeah. Glad, glad to hear that uh, you had a good start to the week. And of course, many people who would have had a good start to the week are certainly those who hold shares in Sun International. Uh, yeah, I guess often um, seen as a proxy for what's happening out in the tourism sector. Uh, they've had a yeah. good showing and a big part of, I guess, that big showing, or albeit coming off a lower base, might have to do with a lot of their sort of slots you know, online betting and uh, other sectors, uh, but also, I guess, a resilient showing uh, in that top-line number for some of their traditional leisure and accommodations business. Yeah, definitely. So, Sun International. Can I oh, Kanya, Kanya, wait. Hello? There's, something, there's something with the line there. So, tell you what, hold okay. the line for us there for a second. It's, um, it's popping. I don't know how else to explain it. So, uh, hold the line. Let's try and uh, re-establish our connection with uh, Kanyan Zululeka on a much better line. 23 minutes it is after 7 p.m. And uh, yeah, it is our business wrap at the start of this new week. And uh, joined on the line by Kanyan Zululeka, co-founder at Satana Capital, uh, to take a look at these numbers. And Kanya, just before we had to pause there slightly to re-establish our line uh, much better there, you were talking to us about uh, Sun International and I guess the story beneath all of those numbers. Um. Um, hi, Ayabong. I just got back on the line. Would you mind just repeating that? Yes, yes. No, I was just asking you to continue, I guess, on uh, what you'd started there, looking at uh, yes. the story behind the numbers for Sun International. Yes, definitely. So like I mentioned as well, when it comes to your online um, betting, mm. um, as you've already mentioned. Um, but a key thing as well being the fact that, you know, they've been um, um, optimizing for a lot of the costs, making sure that, you know, when it comes to the slots, they're placing them in the best places. So, yeah, I think that, you know, the guy's pretty happy um, and having also declared a dividend mm. at this point in time. First time since 2016. Yeah, and I guess, I mean, it, it speaks volumes, not just about what's happening within Sun International, but broadly, uh, what mm -hmm. many people have called pent-up demand for tourism offerings and also, uh, I guess, with the reopening, one would think of, you know, all manner of sport, of, uh, sport um, you know, that triad on the one hand, you know, the online betting, you know, the slots um, and the casino elements and then, of course, some of the accommodation, all benefiting from uh, what many might be calling, I guess, a post-COVID moment. Yeah, so even like the total hotels and resort income is up 63%. Mm. It's still 6% down from your 2019 levels. But like you're saying, a good indication that since, you know, the last restrictions have been um, eased in July, um, I think, you know, first half of this year, it's actually looking really good, you know, for tourism, looking good for companies such as Sun International. And we can only expect the best going forward from here. Yeah, yeah. Talk to me about that capital structure and, of course, on the debt side of things. I mean, these are the guys uh, who a few years ago uh, were out talking to shareholders. Uh, I think they had a 2.5 billion rand rights, rights issue. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I guess a massive debt burden as well. Uh, has the set of numbers, I mean, if you're paying out shareholders, one would think that you also putting much of that towards some of your lenders. Made an investment in a merchant company that operates in Ghana, Zambia, and Kenya. So quite aggressive. 
um, you know, going out into the markets and saying that, hey, listen, um, not only are we stabilizing, but we're also willing to go into different growth markets. Um, so, yeah, I'm pretty keen to see, you know, what comes out of it. Um, I think that quite a lot of it, like we've already said, comes from the gaming perspective. And they have quite a lot of tough competition there. You're talking about your Hollywood bets. Um, you're talking, you know, a whole host of other international players. You're lots of star. Um, so quite a lot of competition. But these are guys that are quite experienced in this game. And I think that, you know, they'll be able to punch way above their weight. Mm, mm. It's just our attention, uh, I guess, talking about uh, people who are doing a lot of punching. I don't know if they're punching above their weight. Walmart. Uh, mm-hmm. And their South Africa operations, MassMart. Um, yeah. Uh, over a decade ago, a lot of fanfare and a lot of attention and scrutiny uh, was focused on Walmart and their foray into the South African mass retail market. Um, and mm-hmm. it seems it hasn't gone off as well as many would like. I mean, they even had to rope in a Walmart veteran like uh, Mitch Slap to come in and, um, uh, you know, try and steady the ship somewhat. Before we get into, I guess, what they, you know, uh, released out to the market today and, the um, you know, signals that that implies. Talk to me about sort of what we've seen from them in the last while. A few disposals, they've cut you know, a few product lines and some of their big operations and many are expecting and anticipating uh, a lot more by way of store closures. I mean, I saw you know, a clearance and store closure sale for one of the uh, uh, game entities. They also closed Dion Wired uh, not so long ago as well. Yeah, so um, Walmart coming into the space um, I think they really underestimated how well, you know, the local retailers are going to do. I mean, if you compare um, MassMart to three of their biggest competitors, the ShopRite, Pick and Pay, and Woolworths, ShopRite is sitting at your 171 billion rand worth of revenue, Pick and Pay 97 billion, mm. and Woolworths at 86. So really, I think they really just, you know, um, underestimated how tough this space is. I mean, that's also not, you know, considering the fact that South Africa has quite a vibrant informal retail space. Um, so they came in with quite a lot in terms of, you know, cost structure. They tried a lot of things. I remember the first time walking into a game and seeing meat and, you know, and veg. Um, it was quite jarring. But there seemed to be quite a lot of, you know, trying a lot of things. Um, you've got the Walmart, Walmart brand behind you, and you're saying, you know what, we're going to go for it. Um, but it really hasn't worked out for them. And like you said, um, they've had to resort to quite a lot of disposals. Uh, last year announcing that they are actually disposing quite a few wholesale businesses, the Cambridge, your Rhino, um, your Rhino stores, as well as a couple of other cash and carries to shop at. Um, so I think that, you know, there's a, a very keen sense that there's a need to focus once again. Um, and I think that, you know, the clear winners are in the general merchandising space, your builders, um, taking game back to um, basically what is a effective, um, you know, strong point. So, yeah, I mean, hasn't been easy for the guys since 2010. Um, however, you know, I think that, you know, looking forward, they have the lessons to be able to take things forward more effectively and more efficiently. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, what does that look like? Uh, because the market they entered in 2011 is not the same market um, that it might be in 2023. I mmean, you know, a lot of people talking up the foray of Amazon into the market might have implications mm. as well. Uh, but we've also mm. seen, I guess, you know, some of their competitors have also not been standing still. Um, and I often wonder sort of what... MassMart's unique value proposition is going to be even after this process, um, in certainly for the consumer. Before we even get into, you know, what things look like uh, from the operational side or even for the shareholder. I think that you know uh, quite a lot of that, and you make a very good point. 
you know, you always take it back to, to shop right, you know, and how aggressive they are also going mm. into the informal space. I do think that, you know, one of the best things that they can do is to effectively just focus on what they've seen actually works, right? So sure. I think that they came out of those numbers today saying that, you know, e-commerce revenue is up 50%, you know, orders are up over 100%. And basically, builders have also been doing very, very well. Um, liquor from a macro perspective is also quite strong. So I think that it's just so important for them to know what their strong point is at this point in time. Um, and obviously, you know, take those learnings from their other competitors. But yes, I mean, we can sit here and we can try to, you know, um, put a ring on a pig. Um, mm. It is not looking so good for them um, because, yeah, I mean, the competitors that they're coming up against are so strong. I mean, at this point, your shop right and your pick and pay also giving Woolworths um, trouble in what was traditionally their strong point, your middle to upper class market. Sure. Um, so, I mean, we'll look and see. Um, I saw that, you know, today they've basically, you know, given the reins to a new gentleman and, you know, someone who actually knows the market, actually knows, you know, the local space, what actually means um, being able to also just, you know, refine your, your, your product line, making sure that, you know, you are going to be able to keep those costs down is quite important. And a lot of that actually requires, you know, a lot of local knowledge. Um, so we'll look and see, you know, what's going to happen. Like I said, I do think that they have clear winners. However, it's mm. not going to be easy. You know, like those numbers I gave you, ShopRite sitting at 171, you know, billion worth of revenue. Massmart currently sitting at 77 billion. Mm. Um, so let's look and see. Um, and, and, you know, let's look and see. Not much joy coming, you know, from the rest of the African operations either. So, yeah, let's look and see what comes out of it. Um, obviously, you know, um, wishing the best for management. Help me here, uh, Kanya. Narcissus and Geese. So they are saying mm -hmm. in their announcement that they want to delist the operations in mm -hmm. order to, I assume, uh, do certain things that ostensibly they might not be able to do if they were a listed entity subject to public mm. scrutiny, listing requirements, and so on. I even asked people on social media, I was like, you know, <laughs> that this delisting will help with. Um, I mean, is it about you cutting staff? No, no, I mean, I'm, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm always circumspect when it comes to this kind of stuff. Is it about cutting staff? staff? Is it about reorienting the business? Or, um, you know, are there other limitations that are placed on a company when they are listed that are critical to the turnaround of MassMart uh, Walmart here uh, that, um, you know, makes delisting such a viable proposition? I mean, leave aside the premium. Who pays 53%? Mm. To mm, delist an mm. entity that's not really doing well at an operational level. Uh, so I'm wondering here, you know, Nile, Look, a couple of points. I, I think that, you know, if you have a company, um, a shareholder, actually, let's just put it like that, a shareholder, you know, that's looking at a company and that says that, listen, we're going to pay about 53% premium. Mm. That actually indicates that there's um, huge confidence. They've seen value where they've seen it. And that's why I feel that it's going to be quite interesting to, to watch what they're going to do. They have gone through quite a lot of retrenchments in the past. Um, if you look at their financials, um, you'll see that they've spent over $200 million just on retrenchments and um, what do you call it, your business transformation costs. That's what they call it. So, you know, they've already gone through that retrenchment process. South Africa has quite strong labor laws, so I think that whether you're a public or a private company, you're going to be subject to the same type of scrutiny to ensure that you are fair to your employees. 
Um, but what I do think that will be key is that as soon as they acquire this additional, I think it's about 47%, if not 49%, it enables them to be the sole shareholder for all the decision-making basically rests with them. Um, and also from the public you know, company perspective, there are quite a lot of you know, other you know, costs doing business at that particular point in time. Lots of like shareholder activism. You know, we know that um, you know ESG is quite a big thing. I'm not saying that they're going to want to shirk off um, what do you call it their responsibility when it comes to things like the environment. You know, the um, society they operate in as well as governance. However, I do think that you know they see an opportunity. They want to go after it aggressively without having to answer too many questions. I don't necessarily think that that indicates, you know, management is looking to do anything unethical or immoral. Mm. I just think that, you know, um, like I said, from a public company perspective, lots of scrutiny, um, shareholder activism is the real thing. Sure. Um, and, yeah, I think that those are the main things that they are actually going yeah. to want to sort of not have as they go on this new growth trajectory. Mm. They don't want to sit in... Uh you know, uh, a shareholder or investor calls and have to justify why they are paying Kanye yeah. millions and millions of money and so on. So I certainly get that. Yeah. But just on that, I mean, uh, you know, a few responses. And uh, Roy Matoni, somebody else who works in the capital market, says delisting in this case, in the case of a significant shareholder, which, uh, you know, Walmart is in this case, uh, and they're buying all of the other shares they don't own, allows them to put in required investment and implement their vision without needing minorities to contribute which uh, I guess is, uh, you know, a big part of the minority protection regulations, uh, which require consultation. They've got timelines. Uh, and also, I guess, uh, some minorities might not be willing uh, to invest alongside a big player like Walmart. Uh, but uh, the point he makes, I think, coming back to what you've just said, is that it does not necessarily exempt the company from any human resource regulations they would otherwise have had to go through uh, if they mm. were listed. And also, I guess... Uh, it also allows the restructuring to not be pressured by, you know, pressure. Why don't you declare a dividend? Your company's turning around. Um, and they can make some, I guess, unpopular decisions that might not have flown with some minority shareholders. Mm. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, but I really want to stress that, you know, when it comes to South Africa, we have quite a, a vibrant, you know, civil society. So, I mean, if they are going to get aggressive in any way that, you know, um, treads on any form of, you know, human rights violation, we have the necessary mm. um, structures to ensure that, you know, that is going to be avoided. I mean, we recently seen in the past um, week, you know, a couple of insurance companies um, being visited by one of, you know, the strongest institutions that we have, the Competition Commission. So mm. I, I do think that, you know, from a public service and a public interest perspective, we never, from a South African perspective, have to, to fear much when it comes to these things. Um, I think that South Africa has actually come quite far, um, you know, when it comes to, you know, regulations pertaining to companies. It's, it's quite strong. You would have mm. seen it also with the telco. Um, yeah, we're just probably going to see a lot more innovation, um, them being a lot more nimble, um, them being a lot more quick on their feet. And I'm very excited to see it. I mean, it works well for the consumer to have strong competition. You don't want to sit in a position where you have a couple of players that are able to call the shots. Yeah. That's when you have issues. Um, so, yeah, let's, let's, you can see I'm excited. Yeah. It seems Europe might have to wait a lot longer for liquefied natural gas coming through from Mozambique. And also, I guess the Mozambique government might also uh, have to wait a lot longer for a big milestone, uh, one of the largest LNG exports 
uh, and uh, you know, I guess uh, the Fulimo government and even many of those in Mozambique might be relishing the prospect of uh, runaway gas prices and what that might mean for the gas fields of uh, Nambane out in Pandetemane and many other offshore uh, platforms uh, that uh, they have there. I'm sorry, can you just go through that again, Aya? No, I'm just saying Mozambique, uh, I guess we'll have to wait a lot longer for one of uh, uh, their much-anticipated exports of LNG, liquefied natural gas, out to uh, Europe. And uh, they're also going to be probably holding thumbs for uh, the runaway prices to continue because it might mean not only a lot more money coming into the Mozambican economy, but also much by way of royalties. Yeah, so I think that, you know, when it comes to these kinds of things, you know, your, 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 your exports to, to Europe from an African perspective, there's always something in the works, right? Um, and I, I think that um, it's unfortunate because for Mozambique, it actually would have um, given them a lot of, like, a boost. Mm. But, yeah, I think that, like you said, you know, that vessel that was destined, you know, for, you know, your offshore production platform, having changed course, you know, it's really unfortunate. However, I do think that, like I said, when it comes to, to Africa, these things are always complicated. But with what's happening in Ukraine and Russia, I do think, you know, there's still an opportunity. But, yeah, quite quite unfortunate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then as we wrap up, Transnet, uh, former Transnet executives, Anoj Singh, uh, Brian Mulefe, and, uh, of course, uh, the folk out at Trillion, Alita Nyonya, mm-hmm. and uh, um, I think uh, Eric, Eric Wood is the other fellow. Um, yeah finding themselves, or, or Niven Pelé, I should say, finding themselves now uh, hauled before the Palm Ridge Specialized Crimes Court. Is this the start, I guess, of uh, prosecutions uh, for state capture? And uh, I was saying earlier on when we started, and um, I have no fear in saying this, that um, mm. probably the missing part of the puzzle is McKinsey, because if I look at Trillion oh, yeah. and Transnet, <laughs> uh, the one that was smack bang in the middle of uh, this particular transaction for the locomotives uh, was actually McKinsey and Company. I'm so glad that you brought it up because it is your show. Um, but, I mean, that was the first thing that I thought of. Obviously, um, the first thing I just want to say, I don't want to take this away from the NPA, mm. as, as, as well as all the people who have been involved. I think that, you know, the whistleblowers we've had, you know, dealing with these kinds of things are absolute heroes. Bianca Goodson, um, Motipa, mm. um, I'm so sorry, I might actually be getting her name wrong. Mosilo um, Motepo, yes. Um, you know, absolute absolute heroes, you know, because they have actually given, you know, the evidence that's been needed to to, to, to go out and prosecute yeah, these kinds yeah. of crimes. I think that people underestimate how difficult it is to prosecute commercial crimes mm. um, because often the actual corruption is, you know, um, it's in the contract. Yeah, um, yeah. So, you know, big, big, big um, gratitude sure. to them from my side. Kanya? And yes, yes? Ah, we're going to have to leave it there, unfortunately. I've got uh, my clock running down here. But uh, we'll certainly check in over the next week or so. Thank you very much for taking time out to speak to us.